0: Shut up in the cheap seats. I
1: might come in.
2: This isn't the Scottish Highlands. Or their lowlands. Or their bloody spaceide. And you've probably figured out these cowboys aren't from the cornfields of Tennessee. Because this is Coral in New South Wales. And this is a story about the people who call it home. (laughs) Dean met Beau on the footy field and hired him on the spot. After Tyler got in on the act, they bought a flour mill for a dollar.
3: It was full of pigeon shit.
2: And turned it into a distillery. The barley comes from Dean's family farm. And the water is sourced from the Murray River. Proper holy water, that. What? Uh, nothing, father. The barrels are borrowed from vineyards near and far. And the whiskey is enjoyed by all. If the lads don't drink it first. Because while there's only two ingredients in truly great whiskey, it takes a town to bring them together. Coral Whiskey. Made here by us. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Generations <laughs> <laughs> <Here you go. laughs> That's a rather impressive way to start one of these <laughs> Yes it is. it is
1: All right, we're live So this is Aussie craft distillers shooting the shit And we're up to episode, what are we up to Luke? Yeah, I'll put you on the <laughs> spot, come on, come on, think, 10? think, think. <laughs> Ten, yeah, Something like that 10 So it started as just the idea of um, distillers, craft distillers, talking to craft distillers and, and basically shooting the shit. Um, so people get to see how we interact, what we talk about and give you a bit of an insight into uh, what we do. So tonight we've got the Dean Druce from Korowa Distillery, a friend of ours, um, and myself and, the, and no, the Todd wasn't there. Um, his wife was. We visited uh, Cora for the first time. I don't know about three, four, five months ago, something like that. It's all a blur. So um, yeah, without further ado, let's um, let's introduce the whole panel. So we got Luke, local nerd. So Luke is the the brains, the engine room behind the,
4: the
1: mechanics. Yeah, making this work, making this work. Just the sound. Come on, get a sound. You can hit the button. Yeah, yeah.
4: To the sound. Here we go. I, I don't. I haven't got that plugged in. Missed opportunity, oh, I'm what? sorry. Oh, oh, have should, have come, should have come in. That's lost. So and Luke job. is a...
1: One job, exactly. Luke is <laughs> a brewer, loves, loves the spirit, loves the Australian whiskey, so, uh, uh, and, and a passionate individual. So good to see you, Luke.
4: That is me. And Hello. We've
1: got my right-hand man. So again, that is me. Hello. Sorry, I missed that. Hello. And then we got my right-hand man, the Todd. The Todd is a apprentice distiller. He was the apprentice's apprentice, but he's now the apprentice distiller because I'm no longer the apprentice distiller. I call myself distiller after 3 years. I think I've earned that that title. And, and I going a win promotion. And you got a little promotion and, exactly, that's it. and then double we've got our... <laughs> whiskey. You only get whiskey, you don't get anything else. Um, <laughs> and then we've got our guest, Dean Coro. How are you, mate? What's up? What are you doing?
3: I'm just chilling out in and just having a grand old time. Thanks for having me on,
1: mate. You look like you're chilling yeah. out at home, would that be right? I am, yes, yeah. No, I try yeah. and uh,
3: spend. Uh, as soon as the, the lights go down, I try and get away from the distillery. Otherwise, I'd be there every awakening moment. So it's uh, always uh, good to get there, but it's also good to get away from it. It uh, gives a fresh perspective on uh, being a whiskey distiller.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I get that. I totally get that. I've, I've just uh, had a weekend at home um, away from the shed, nothing to do with, with whiskey, and... Um, yeah, just recharge the battery. I feel like I've actually had a holiday and come back. And tonight, ripped in a, a private tasting of 40 people at, at, at campground. Um, so I'm peeling myself off the ceiling right now, calming down, and ready for ripping into this session tonight. So let's go. Good. Guys, what are, we, what are we drinking? What's in our in glasses? So let's start with Dean. What's in your glass, mate? Uh, tonight, I've got the Hartwood, the toddler. Um
3: Yeah, it's Ooh. a really good uh, four-year-old uh, release from Hartwood It's um, a lark uh, distilled uh, spirit And it's coincidentally the same uh, ABV as our first release, 63.1 Very cool Very, Very nice
1: cool. And Mr Tim Duckett, the legend, the living legend mm. Yeah, from, from Hartwood Excellent. All right. And Todd, what are you drinking in your glass, mate? What
0: do you got? So, I've got
1: Thompson Boxer
0: tonight. It's a New Zealand yep. single malt whiskey. Uh, yes. peated with um, Pete from the South Island of New Zealand. It's very, very lightly peated, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but other than that, it's a really easy drinker. Recommend right. it.
1: Cool. Very nice. nice. Nice, very nice. Luke, what's in yours, mate?
4: Um, I tonight am on the company you keep from our friends at uh, Mobius, uh, just the down new the road gin. from home here. Uh, the new gin, which is absolutely lovely. I got the hot tip from the boys that it's better with um, uh, better with soda water rather than your normal tonic. And right. you're on the money. It's really good. So, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I get was
1: that. At Yeah, I picked up a bottle myself. So, uh, sorry, Ed from OCD. Um, I, I picked up a bottle of Mobius' gin. So, sorry, Ed. <laughs> In joke, that one. <laughs> um, and what am I drinking? Oh, I'm drinking something quite special. Uh, so, this is lime burners.
0: Absolutely.
1: Our good friend Cam Syme from uh, WA, Burners, and this was a PX sherry cask that was released from the Whiskey Club, Bertie Carson's Whiskey Club. Um, At the time, it actually got mixed reviews because it's PX cask, and people think it's a very big, heavy whiskey, and it's not. It's it's quite a light whiskey. Um, I think it's absolutely delicious, and I'm I'm pouring that out right now. So... um, I'll do that. I've got a good question for you, Dean. So, Fire away. You, you paid a dollar for the uh, flour mill, right?
3: That is correct, yes. So, everything in that video that you showed uh, beforehand is 100% correct. There's no. You know, fabrication of the story, um, the actors that are in it are uh, all actually work for us. So the, the guy behind the bar drinking out of the bottles, our head chef, the chick at the other side of the bar, she's a, a waitress that we have. Um, the old guy flipping the coin, he, um, we call him our absent distiller. He's supposed to be our apprentice distiller, but he's our absent distiller because he's never there. Um, we, you could take that on if you want, Todd, but it's, uh, it's trademarked, so uh, just be careful.
0: Um,
3: the, you know, so everything in that, that video, which we, we love, you know, and it's such a, a well put together, uh, video, even though we're obviously biased, um, you know, it's a great reflection and a representation of us here in Corowa and the people we are. So yeah, it's all true.
1: It's, um. It's a bit of a, an iconic little video. Matt. I, I remember the first time I saw it, and I absolutely pissed myself. And I sent it around to people, and everyone was pissing themselves. And it was in the in the vein of the castle, you know, telling they're dreaming sort of thing. It was just it's cool. It's very yeah. cool, my friend. It's very cool. Well, and you know, we we actually have a bit of a link to
3: the castle because oh, I don't know how many years ago that was. Four years ago, we actually tried to buy the house from the castle, uh, and we thought we'd actually fully secured it, and then um, they reneged on it a little bit, and uh, yeah, it went to public auction and uh, it disappeared away out of our grass. But um, oh, there bugger. was wow. yeah, so we we had it all in our grass for about a week. Uh, and then it uh, unfortunately disappeared. So, while we uh, reference the castle, there's actually a little bit more of a backstory that uh, you know can be told around
4: that as well. Mm. Now, why? I mean, why wouldn't you buy it if you had the opportunity to? Why did you want to buy the castle house?
3: Uh, it's just something cool, and you know, and, and the people we are, you know, we're we're not trying to be pretentious and pretend that. You know, with someone else, we, we've we got a lot, a lot of our humour is the same as, you know, as people in Corowa, uh, is the same as the castle. Um, you know, we just felt we connected really well with it and I uh, made some jokes about it. And um, I think we had three days of absolutely flat out um, media work where um, even to the point where I went and had to hit a hit of golf and had uh, 18 holes of golf. And for six of those, I was on the phone to ABC Radio um, with the the airport, uh, the headphones in, and you know, we're still doing interviews, and we were doing all sorts of things. But it was it's just a crazy time of our life, and um, yeah, look, it would have been good to have, but uh, it's only just up the road in Beechworth at the moment, anyway.
4: Okay, nice and close. <laughs> yes. what would you have done with that if it fell uh, So, the what family, to have- what would
3: you have done with that? So, our plan was to sit it out the front uh, of our block, um, which, you know, we've got a, a little bit of land. Uh, we don't have a lot of land where we are in, in Corowa, but um, we would have put it out the front and we do oh, 50 to 60 weddings every year. So, the idea of it was it's, you know, you're coming for a country wedding and you have your honeymoon suite is the house from the castle.
4: <laughs> uh, brilliant.
1: That's, that's different. Uh, uh,
4: yeah, there's definitely different.
1: so let's let's go back to the start because uh, there's probably people on now and if not, maybe on YouTube later would want to know. what is Cora? where did it start? was it, what was the dream and and how did you get it going and where are you at now? So yeah, Cora for us is a you know, it's
3: a long story and it did just didn't happen uh, overnight. Um, you know, some people have these stories where, you know, you know I drove past a, you know, a paddock and I thought that's going to be the perfect place. That didn't happen at all. So um, I was actually living in Canada at the time and uh, my parents have a, a chocolate factory in June, so Junee Licorice and Chocolate, um, who are actually on the Today Show today. So a bit of publicity for them as well. Um And I was living in Canada and my mother called me and she never like, I was living there for two years and she called me probably once to wish me happy birthday. Um, never gets excited about too much to do with business. Um, and she called me, and it was like 5 a.m. in the morning. I was like, what is – this is ridiculous. It's, something's got to be wrong. Anyway, so I answered the phone, and she goes, oh, we're, um, we're doing a tourism talk down in Korowa. And, you know, and we've stumbled across this old abandoned flour mill. It's been abandoned for 40 years, and um, the council are talking about selling it. And I thought, oh, that's, that's good. Anyway, when I woke up properly, I had a look on uh, Google, and I thought, who would want to buy that old piece of shit like, it is run down. It's missing windows. Like, there's grass growing up over the first floor. Like, this is just ridiculous. Um, anyway, so I ended up coming home and uh, maybe two, three months later, and we went down for a visit and uh, had a bit of a look around. And, um, yeah, look, as soon as I saw it, it was it was, it was was old and it was run down. It's full of pigeon shit. Um, but there was a, a romance and nostalgia with it that's, I think you you can't help but get drawn to. And then, um, yeah, from there, I, I, I moved back, obviously, to Australia. Um, I turned 21 and moved to Coral and uh, had no friends in Coral. I'd been there once before, and
4: that was that. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's... It for a dollar. Who gives up, even if it is run down as shit, who gives it up for a dollar?
3: Well, I don't I'm sure uh, there was any... conditions...
4: <laughs> look, there, there were
3: conditions and we we obviously spent some money on it but if there's any other viewers out there that are willing to sell me anything for a dollar i'll um happily listen so um you know what What have you got out there let me know and uh you know we'll, we'll come uh come your way we'll,
4: we'll wait for the comments to start coming in <laughs>
3: yes yeah, so i look forward to the comments
1: <laughs> so is it um tourism do, do you get a lot of uh tourism coming through your area or is it you're off the beaten track. How, how would you explain it? Oh, yeah, look, like we, we are a tourist area. We are a part of the
3: Rutherglen wine region. So um, our experience in Juni uh, obviously is tourism. So Juni in 2003 uh, had a visitation of 4,000 people, uh, and then we put our facility in there in Juni, and I think last year they did 150,000 visitors just to the the licorice and chocolate factory um so it was really good wow. to see that around now um that we're down here in Corowa, um look, already has a, a bit of a thriving tourist trade uh and we're we're still a little bit behind our um our sister company or brother company whatever you call it uh but we're still doing a hundred thousand um you know people a year so um you know it's good enough for us at the moment we anticipate that it's going to grow uh, as we grow with our you know whiskey distillery as well so
1: yeah we're we're sort of a little bit off the track but we're not too far off the track so how long you've been going as road distillery how many years uh, so we started renovating in 2010, uh, and we put
3: our first whiskey down on the 23rd of March 2016. So it took us more or less six years to renovate, get the stills happening. Um, we did some reconnaissance missions to Tasmania. Uh, we did three months yeah. uh, with Kill Homan in Scotland. Uh, yeah, so, we, you know, it, it just took time. Yeah. It, it, just the renovation to get it where the public could walk through the door was about eight months
1: yeah so okay. it's, it's, it's a great yeah. story yeah you know it's, it's a great story and i, I was just going to focus in on what you said about kill Homan. so you went to isla and you spent a period of time there and learned a lot about the craft no doubt How how did that come about and why did they put up with you I don't understand why that's a long period of time that's not like a day trip (laughs) no it's certainly not and uh, we
3: were very fortunate so um, back then John McClellan was sorry there's a a bit of story before that so we were here in Australia and we were having lunch with um, some friends of ours and uh, one of them actually was living in uh, France at the time and um, we said oh we're setting up this distillery and he said oh that's good my friends of mine have got a distillery and I was just thinking oh, uh, he's got some small distillery down the road like bloody backwards in yak and dandle you know something just tiny and I thought not much more of it and he said oh do you do you ever want to you know go and work there and I said oh, yeah I guess so like well, you know can't be you know can't hurt um and he goes oh it's in Scotland and I said oh yeah no, that's that's really good. Um, And then he said, oh, my friends are, um, you know, they own Kill Home. And I thought, wow, like Kill Home is the the model that they set was exactly the way we wanted to be. You know, it was a smaller startup business. You know, I think they started in 2005. We were looking at this in 2014. So they were getting to that 10-year mark and they were building. They had really good um, staff over there. They had a great brand reputation. So, um, yeah, there we... um, you know, we we took off, and and you know, it's it's a long flight to the UK, as um, those who've done it know. And the whole time you're yep. thinking on the plane, like, are we really going to work in Kilhoman, or are we get into the gate and they're saying, "Never heard of you, see you later." Yeah, you know, it was it, it was actually a very nerve wracking uh, sort of experience. And what did you gain
4: from that?
3: Uh, what the, the probably what I gained in the first three days is that as long as you've got a passion for whiskey, you can be a whiskey distiller. You can run your own whiskey distillery. You know, the the two guys that they had working uh, on the stills when we got there were an ex-truck driver and a mechanic. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, you know, not that those professions, you, you look at them and say, oh, they never drink whiskey, but... If, if they can come from being a, a truck driver and then day one go into making whiskey for what I considered a, a very prestigious whiskey brand, um, you know, I just thought, look, you know, yep, we can definitely do this. We were going to do it anyway, but we could do this. And then John McClellan, um, who's now passed away, uh, he was very generous with his time. We ended up um, staying with him for some of that time. Um, most nights we would, you know, go into the Bond store and uh, go sampling some of their future releases and, and some of their older stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just a really, really good time, um, you know, and it was almost uh, hard to come home because, you know, if they had offered any sort of a job over there, I think I would probably would
1: have stayed. You would have yeah, stayed. Wow. They, it was good that you mentioned uh, they, they were running their stills. So they weren't pushing buttons uh, from a, a computer console at, at the other end of the factory. It was, yeah, proper craft all the way and, you know, yeah, which it, is exciting, it, really, yeah. exciting. It mm-hmm. is. And if anything, um, Kill Home and Back then
3: were probably too crafty for my liking because we came home and we thought, like, geez, they've got hard some... work.
1: No, not so much hard work.
3: They've got systems in place where... All you have to do is open one lever, you know, wrong, and it's right next to the right one. And suddenly all your spirit that you've worked a week for is out, you know, in the mud. Like, it just, we, we thought, oh, you know, we're coming home and we're, we've scratched together our, our $1 in, uh, in you know, life savings to buy this building. Let's let's put, you know, these dollars to work. So, um, you know, we designed a distillery that we felt was... Not foolproof, because nothing's foolproof these days, Um, but as close as we possibly could to being foolproof.
4: Yeah. How how do you um... go about designing
3: that? Uh, Yeah, look, we, again, our, um, where we've come from with having a a chocolate factory and a licorice factory that we actually set up ourselves. Um, So our story, you know, to give you a little bit of context there, we came off a farm. Our farms are very close to Stu's farm, and that's how we know um, Stu from Voyager, a good little grain-growing area, and our farm was uh, making wheat and, you know, milling it into flour, and then our flour mill broke down, so we bought this other one, Uh, and then someone said, oh, well, you know, you're making flour, and um, you you know that uh, flour is 40% in licorice, and we thought, oh, never knew that, but anyway, there we go. So we went and bought a licorice factory, and, um, you know, you don't make too many friends having a licorice factory, but um then you go and coat that in chocolate and then suddenly everyone wants to know you you know having a licorice factory yeah you're just another another person having a chocolate factory suddenly you're everyone's friend like and quickly so um we we designed these factories to to work and you know we've made tweaks along the way but um you know the the show that goes on with these sorts of things then followed into how do we set this distillery up you know and with our limited knowledge on uh, uh, making whiskey, more knowledge on drinking whiskey. You know, how do we make this work? And uh, and that's where we sort of set about that uh, that journey.
1: Hmm. Very cool. Now, talk mm. about. Um, you know, you're starting a distillery. Uh, you've had some training overseas. You you've got connections locally, and then you're you're going into your first your barrels. How, how did you know? watching to go with barrels because barrels are so important as we know um it's, it's as important as barley in, in in my my opinion um so yeah how did you how, how did you not fuck that up
3: well you know as we all know um good wood is everything and you know we love having good wood so <laughs> <the> um, <laughs> got have good wood
4: um, well, we, we, we know a bloke who's pretty good with his wood Youngie, there. Youngie, Mr. Youngie, yeah, there. Youngie's
3: there. So uh, yeah. we we went about um, sourcing as much as we possibly could. Um, pissed you off, would you? Um, <laughs> we we went about sourcing uh, a lot of barrels from the Rutherglen area. Um, you know, and, and Rutherford's uh, synonymous for making really good fortified uh, wine. You know, um, mm, but not only out. that, red wine and and other things as well. So. Um, you know, and, and a lot of it is the journey you go on uh, along the way. So, you know, we, we'd go up to, to Griffith and see, you know, the, the really good uh, producers up there as well. And our, our interaction that we have with people is going to be different to the way everyone else does it, because some people just want to go to a Cooper and say, right, I want this, this and this. And they don't really want to know where it's coming from. Where we started was, we wanted to know where the wine was coming from. We wanted to know where the grain was coming from, you know, absolutely everything. So, and, and as you get uh, bigger and, um, you know, you have less time more so than anything, uh, you, you do lose a little bit of track of that, but um, that's, you know, look, along the way we, we, we slowly get there and um, that's where I've sort of uh, linked up with Robbie from um, Barrel Brokers and uh, yeah, we, we're doing a lot of work with him and, some of the barrels that are coming out of him are absolutely phenomenal. Like I, oh, they um, yeah, they're just really, really good barrels. And uh, you know, and it's look, it's the same. It's similar. Everyone's got a similar story. As soon as they find that one, you know, the the, the person that they think, oh wow, how good are they? But you stick with them. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that what i get is the the right thing it, it just works for me and you know that relationship that i've got with robbie is a really good easy guy to deal with you know and you ring him up and you say look i'm chasing this this and this and you go there you know here it is um what, what were we chasing the other day uh cognac barrels and suddenly you know we've got some um french cognac barrels coming into the country and you just go like how good is that like it was only a pipe yeah, was, dream, you know, two weeks ago and then suddenly here they are, like they're coming in in the next two to three weeks and you think that's, you know, you can't beat that. And I think that's the good thing about the Australian industry at the moment. You know, everyone's willing to, um, you know, bend over backwards and, and make the industry go ahead. So if anyone's not, I wouldn't be dealing with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you sort of touch on it there, you know, how, how people work together and, you know, those relationships formed are just so important. Um, you know, I've, I've got it myself. You know, with barrels and and with winemakers and 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 barley. You know, sourcing of barley and, and that. Um, and I love the fact that you can pick up the phone and just have a conversation. And you don't exactly know what where you're going, what you want, but together you sort of come to come together, and then boom, something happens. Quite magical. Um, mm. And at, at the crafts, at the craft size, that that happens, and, and it's very organic. Um, it's not like you're sitting there and just you know filling out an order and and fax, faxing it. Who faxes? No one faxes. Uh, emails <laughs> an order. It's you're really connected with, with with everything, aren't you? It's it's exciting actually. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, very much so. And and
3: I think even furthermore to the point that if you were a bigger you know, bigger distillery, you know, if you get something delivered to you, whether it be grain, yeast, whatever it is, you feel like you've got the connection and the interaction with that producer to ring them up and say, you know, look, it's still not a bad product but what, what happened here and tell me the story behind this and, you know, then you can look at, well, how am I going to utilise this and how am I going to leverage that? So w- what's my marketing employee? What's my angle on this one? Uh, and then it, you know, you might think, oh, well, this one was originally going into a musket barrel, and now I'm going to put it into a, you know, cognac barrel or whatever it might be. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's um the 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 barrel Sold, Scott. Was that awesome?
3: Yeah. Scott's going to sell me a fax machine <laughs> for a dollar. <laughs> I'll pay by a
1: check, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Is that including the paper? You've got a paper with those things, I believe. I can't remember. <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is uh, time tonight time when time I was... Oh, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Power. Um, Tonight I was, I was doing this this camping event, so we're live from Daly Campground in the Cape City Valley. Um, I was telling people that, you know, it's really hard because what we do. We're we sort of making visions uh, of something that's... We won't get our hands on for three, four, five, five years, right? And uh, how do you how do you do that? I know it's something I struggle with. It's I know where 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 we are on our journey at Craftworks, and I think well, four years down the track, where are we going to be? And you make you got to make those decisions now. So, what's your thought process for that? How how do you approach it?
3: Oh, crafty. Um it's yeah. <laughs> funny to say that i literally have spent all this week projecting and doing future plans and i've spent and i've got tomorrow still to go with it and i still don't know where i'm going with my end report but um yeah look we are running out of space we're on a four five acres, you know bit of land there's a lot of land in and around coral where we can build sheds but we're running out of space at a rapid rate. And if we increase production, which we need to, where do we put it? Yeah. You know, what do we do this? You know, how much whiskey is too much whiskey? What's, you know, do we need a sales rep? Do we need, you know, how many barrels do you need? How much grain do you need? It's it's a never-ending, um, you know, sort of equation that you start doing. And then you think, well, how many more staff do I want? And it's... Oh, I think you, we, for us, we get to a point where we sort of look at it and say, how big do we want to get and how out of control of the, you know, the beast um, that we have at the moment do we want to get? Because we can put as many people on as we possibly want. It gets bow away yeah. from the stills. It gets self away from the stills. I don't see any customers. For the last week I haven't seen a customer, um, which look, is a good and a bad thing, but um, – You know, where do you want to leave this? Where do you want to be in 10 years' time? Where do you want to be in 20 years' time? Alex has got a job, first employed. Um, Look, you know, and so that's what we're doing at the moment. I've done the forecasting for the next um, six financial years, Um, you know. How much grain are we going to buy? How many barrels are we going to buy? Like, yeah, it's, it's a scary sort of a thing. I I have a, a mentality and mine, I'm not saying mine's right, but this is mine, put a barrel down and almost forget about it. Just leave it, sit there. When you're showing someone around on the tour, which for me is very rarely, um, except for when the dignitaries of uh, the uh, Australian industry come along, okay. um, you know, go and try the barrels then, you know, and, and surprise yourself. Don't Don't have these sort of, you know, uh, beaten up expectations of all oh, this one was great when i tried it a month ago i you know only try them sparingly keep the surprise keep the romance and the theater about it uh, you know and yeah. i think especially the people you're showing they it reflects really and resonates really well with them um, you know so but everyone's got their own thing you know like the way we do things in cora completely different to the way everyone else does their stuff um, you know and um, yeah, all around Australia, people are doing really, really good things. Australian whiskey's got so much to offer. Um, you know, the way Josh at Tim Boone does his uh, tours is completely different than the way we do our tours and completely to the different to the someone up in Queensland does tours. And we're not saying anyone's right or wrong. If it works for you, it works for you. And you've got people coming back. Well, that's a
1: winner. That's cool. What excites you about Australian whiskey? Um, what excites me about the Australian
3: industry and Australian whiskey as a whole, and I was actually talking with someone today about this, I can't remember who that was, um, that we're still at our infancy, you know, and we can look at where we've come from and yes, we were very infant then, but I think the Australian industry is still at its infancy, you know, there'll there'll be a major amount of um, people, you know, distilleries come on board in the next uh, couple of years again, um, yeah. There's going to come a time when we, when some of them start to get weeded out, and you know we we start to, um, you know, take a bit of perspective in the industry. But I think we've still got a long, long way to go. Um, you know, Australia's making some of the best whiskey in the in the world. Obviously, a very biased opinion there, but yeah. we're going to show when when we've got the quantity as far as a, an industry, we're going to show the world what kick-ass whiskey is getting made in Australia, and you know that you. Not put Scotland or anyone like that on notice because it's a completely different, um, you know, whiskey and style, and they've got so many runs on the board. But, you know, we're going to be doing some uh, hitting some markets, and people are going to go, Wow, Australian whiskey, look, that's some uh, shit odd stuff.
4: Yeah, that's right, Crafty. You, you go, go. Well, well,
1: I was, was going to say, say uh, one, one uh, of the great, <laughs> you tell me to go, and then you go.
4: <laughs> Wow. You go, I go,
1: you go, you go.
4: You're on. Luke. <laughs> so who, who are you looking out for or looking to in the Australian craft spirits industry? Who are you looking at going, wow, they're doing something quite amazing?
3: Um, I, I don't think... It's one person or one distillery, uh, you know, individually. Um, look, I, I love what, um, you know, Starwood, their story and where they've come from and how they can open up emerging markets and, and that sort of bigger beast style. Um, you know, that's that's not going to be us. Um, but, like, I even uh, enjoy, you know, and it pains me to say it, but uh, backwards distillery, you know, they can revolutionise uh, the way you use a barrel and red gum barrels and you know and they've got this this cult following where people go oh backwards is coming out again you know we, we've got to secure some of that so little things like that that's absolutely amazing like the and look they're in our backyard so that's why right. I pay the most amount of attention to uh, to what they're up to but um, you know there's certain other people I even watch what gin distillers are doing and uh, you know and rum uh, you know if they're a distiller of any sort of spirit we sort of need to take notice of what they're doing because they're a part of our industry um you know whether it be good or bad um you know Mm. they're in our industry they're here to stay and generally they're good people so you know get to know them see what they're up to and and see why their model's working and our particular model might be struggling or you know whatever it might be so
4: now you 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 touched on uh backwards, and we we chatted with Lee uh, about a week and a half ago. He mentioned that... He
1: doesn't make as good whiskey as Dean, though, does he? Sorry? Is that true? I said he he doesn't... Lee doesn't make as good whiskey as you, Dean. Would would you say that's fair commentary or or, or not? Would you like to repeat this? (laughs) Is is this the time (laughs) and place to bring this up? Look, it probably is. Um, (laughs) That's most important question of Australian... Whiskey scene right now, you need to deal with it. <laughs> Look,
3: Lee uh, is is a very talented uh, whiskey producer and he knows a lot about the industry. Uh, and we, I don't even know whether who started first or what happened, but we sort of both came onto the scene at similar sort of times. Um, and we, we ended up on a news article together and we went, oh shit, you know, there, yeah, there you are over there. Um, So ever since then, it's been this very jovial, um, you know, sort of relationship. Um, Not sure how much his wife loves it, but, um, you know. Well, he did say
4: that you're his work wife.
3: Understandable. Uh, You know, I'm I'm wondering wondering who's the
4: big spoon, who's little spoon.
3: Uh, He's got to be little spoon because for obvious reasons. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, we're meant to be hanging shit on Dean, not Lee. Really. That that was we're we're out by a week or so. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm still getting back
3: to you know, and I. So I think um, Lee and I's relationship's been really good because um, you know you might ring him up and you say, oh look, I'm struggling with this, and he goes, oh you know this and this, um, you know, and then on top of that, he'll say, look, I I can't find this or what you know whatever it is and and suddenly you know you go and source it or you know so it's a it's a little bit of give and take um some other people from maybe not inside our circles might not understand it but uh i don't really care
1: it's very important isn't it i mean we're, we we had the relationships with with fellow distillers and they're, they're hang-shit relationships, they're, they're, they're meaningful relationships, they're helpful relationships. Um, we look after each other. Um, and that's something I really, really enjoy about being in the, in the craft spirits movement in Australia. But I have a concern that as the industry grows and it hardens up, um, you know, the rising tide floats all boats, which is a Bill Lark philosophy to, to uh, whiskey in particular, is, is going to change and, uh, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? What do you, you think is happening in, in Australia and, and where do you see the future in that? Yeah, look, I uh,
3: – where do I see the future? I think that a few people have got a serious sort of awakening coming towards them because – uh, look, and I'm not saying Bill Lark and his comments are wrong because I, I think there's a, there is a time and a place for them and Bill's such a good guy and well-respected within the industry, but those comments probably are relevant five, ten years ago. Um, the rising yeah. tide is, is, you know, it is rising uh, and there are still going to be some boats that are anchored down the bottom with only a certain amount of tether on them. So... Um, I don't think they're going to float, but I think the ones that do float, whether they be big, small, micro, massive, whatever it is, are the ones that know exactly who they are. So in the Australian industry, I think there is um, these people that are making whiskey, but they think they're, you know, a, a level above and, you know, they want to stretch themselves or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use there. I think knowing who you are, and being able to be true to yourself is going to be really, really important in the years to come.
1: Yeah, it comes back to the authenticity as well, doesn't it? And and, and our consumers, they, you know, our customers, they look for authenticity, and and they can sniff it out when it's not there. And you know, I had I had a discussion with um, a distiller a couple of days ago about you know. Buying, you know, spending a a, you know a fuck ton of money on on marketing, buying it off the shelf and slapping your name on it, It, people can pick that. They can they can see through it. So people are they're wanting they're wanting authenticity in Australian products. It's not just whiskey. It's not just gin. It's not just it's just in general. Authenticity is is a is a big thing, isn't it?
3: Oh, it, it you look, it definitely is. Um, you know it's, you know, I think it doesn't matter what industry, you like you said, um, the time yeah. comes where if they're not doing the right thing, they get caught out in the long run. You know, they might get a year, two years, three years down the track, but at some point, they're going to get caught out. So, um, you know, and I think that's where it's really important to, you know, be able to be in control of your own destiny. So, um, you know, if you're, Knowing where the barrels are coming, you know, you know where your yeast supplier is. You know where the grains coming from, and, and more importantly, you're mashing yourself. Um, that's where I think probably the Australian industry needs to probably have a long, hard look at itself and say, if you're not mashing yourself, like in, in Scotland, you've got four years to to get your own mash tun and start mashing yourself. Why? Why in Australia are we still dragging our heels on this one? You know, like yeah. I, I, I know. You know, we all know the, the the big couple of guys that are not doing it, but um, you know, right down to the to the smaller guys starting up now. Whether that be four years or put ten years on it, I, I don't really care. But as long as everyone's got a plan where they start mashing themselves, because this this buying in wash forever and a day, it, it's not good for our industry, and it makes us look in the overseas
1: market. It makes us look as like cowboys. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked to, um, talk to Marty Pye from Riverborne about this. It's something he's very, very passionate about. I know um, exactly now I came... how passionate Marty is. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. And I came from a beer boiling uh, starting point. So I started you know, independent bottling and then I went beer boiling. But I, I gave the recipe to the brewer and they, they, you know, they followed it and it was great. And then I started doing it myself. Once you've, once you've brewed... To make whiskey you realize just how important that is don't you you got so many levers you can play with to create flavor and it's it's freaking hard work it is really hard work to get the brew side right, uh but so so rewarding and so important into flavor building and flavor creation isn't it
3: yeah oh look it definitely is but i i think it even probably goes a step further than that it's an absolute crucial part of the distilling process but if you're showing people around on a tour and they go, oh, so you know the the product you actually put in the still, where's that come from? And you go, oh, it comes down the road. You know, it's you know, it's not from here. And they go, oh, well, you know, how's that? You know, and and especially with our logo, you know, sorry, our motto is made here by us. We can't be buying in someone else's beer and saying it's made here by us because we distill it. Like, yeah, I don't think it cuts a mustard you know that's that's just me and I don't know whether it's a purist standpoint or I don't know you know where I've got this sort of being my bonnet about it but um I, I truly believe that every distiller in Australia and and the someone like the ADA needs to say it's five years from when you start up you're allowed to buy in wash but after that you're not calling it whiskey
1: Mm. It's an interesting position, and, and there is discussion going on. I hear it from various distillers. Um, it's, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds in the next couple of years for sure. Question <clears throat> i got for you is, so Scotland has its traditional highlands, its lowlands, uh, it, its space all its different regions, and the, the reality is now it really doesn't mean much. There is no real distinctive whiskey from each area because there's, there's so much crossover. In Australia, there's talk of, well, is there going to be a development of regional style whiskies uh, across Australia? Like you'll have the Tasmanian style, you have the New South Wales style. My own personal belief is no, not at all. I, I, I think it's, we're all making different styles of whiskey and, and that's exciting. What's your take on that? What do you think? Yeah, look, I think Because of the
3: way that the Australian industry is, for um, lack of better words, loosely strung together, you know, that you can use all sorts of different types of timber. You know, it's got to be put in timber. You can use all sorts of different things. And our fluctuating climate, you know, is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think, you know, the style of whiskey that we make and uh, that Lee makes in Yakandanda, which is half an hour, 40 minutes away. They're completely different. Yes, I'm talking about his single malt, not his rye. Um, You know, we both make single malts. We both use the same grain. We both use pretty much everything the same because Lee copied me on everything. Um, But (laughs) they're completely different whiskeys, you know, and and I think they'll always continue to be completely different whiskeys. So, you know, we have our Corolla, you know, sort of strain of making whiskey and he has his backwards and, you know, Josh has got his, his way down in Tim Boone. So everyone's got what makes them, them, uh, you know, and like we were talking about the, the mashing before, there's there's little intricacies um, that you can do that change things up and, um, you know, just just mix it up a little bit. I always think that whiskey making is a lot like uh, a brewster. you know. A brewster can bump the, the tamp seal and can open up a little hole in the side and everyone makes a coffee differently, you know, with the same coffee beans. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean that that person's coffee is wrong and that person's coffee is right. It, they're different coffees within the exact same structure of how you do things.
1: No, nah, it's true. It's very, very true. It's it's the diversity there, you know, diversity of flavours. It's, it's really exciting to see. Um, what about if you had to choose and... We don't, but if you had to choose, were you more influenced by the Scottish-style approach to whisky or the American style coming from you know, the craft brewers on the backs of craft brewers, craft distillers were, were built? And so they're taking their their understanding of malts and the importance of brewing through harder in, into whisky as opposed to Scottish's more traditional approach. Or even Japanese. Throw Japanese in there as, in, in a mix.
4: Or the American. Boy. So for me
1: personally,
3: I was very, um, very Scottish uh, orientated. So I I love the way that Scotland year after year could still produce, you know, same or very similar whiskey. uh, And it was done in a commercial way that was very structured and it was very, this is how we're doing it. Um, Visiting a few, you know, and we're talking, we were visiting distilleries in, you know, 2008 to 2010 to, to learn how we were going to do this. What you know? I was a little bit worried on um, how we were going to adapt to that not unstructured world of of what we were seeing, but there was a lot of unstructured, and there was there was a lot of room for for error. Uh, and then going to Scotland seeing Kill Homan and uh, and a range of other new series as well, I saw this you know, exactly how we wanted to do it in a commercial way. And, you know, when I say commercial, we're not a big distillery by any stretch of the imagination, but in, in a way that we felt that fits us and that's exactly how we wanted to do it.
1: Yeah. That's exciting. Very exciting, actually. probably saying? <laughs> He's more influenced he was by t- me. Than... It was
4: read it out, I he was more influenced by me and Lee Atwood than any country crafty field. He essentially follows our flow.
1: Why do I have a hoodie that says the mentor on the back? <laughs> Tell me that, Bobby. <laughs> well, let's talk about wood. This wood, your wood, and what plans you got for wood going forward.
3: what uh have you got a question or you just want me to go
1: (laughs) no just go for it mate shoot the sheep, go for it
3: (laughs) you know like i said before everyone loves uh good wood and uh we're very fortunate that we have you know really great wood um so we plan on continuing this into the uh to the future um we're getting uh, through robbie we're getting a lot of really diverse uh interesting uh wood uh and personal opinion and again they're very biased but some of the best fortified casts that uh we've been able to get is is through robbie so um you know, I, I hope that relationship uh, continues, and I can t- can continue to be his mentor into the future because uh, seems to supply us with some of the best uh, the best barrels that you know we can get our hands on. So um, it, it's a great leg up in this this whiskey industry. Um, we are actually in the process of um, trying to start a cooperage here in Corolla, so um, we've got. Um, some coopers coming over and uh, we've got a few things happening and uh, you know, there's wheels uh, moving behind the scenes that uh, I wouldn't exactly call us the duck on the water because we don't even have the the body of the duck at the moment to be calm. Um, You know, we're we're still building buildings. We're still, you know, we're we're still a little ways off, but um, yeah, look, uh, with uh, with Robbie in tow, it uh, it definitely gives us a lot of confidence to to move forward and um, to actually make uh, Lee so childish. Um, <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it gives us great confidence, and that's a uh, eggplant, I reckon, crafty.
0: <laughs>
3: um, it gives us great confidence to go forward and to, you know, to, to put this cooperage in place, um, you know, with him. And, um, yeah, look, it's all about employing more people and, uh, you know, getting getting a cooperage into New South Wales, I think, is massive. Uh, are we the only cooperage that's going to be in New South Wales crafting?
1: I think so, mate. There, there was... Um... There's a guy who roams through Mudgy from time to time and repairs barrels for for winemakers and he had a crack at one of my barrels, but he's not a he doesn't work with whisk barrels, it's just wine barrels. Um so yeah, I mean there'd be wine opportunity, wine winery opportunities there too, wouldn't there? You know, repairing yeah, barrels it, it, and that it, it, Yeah, especially in uh, in
3: Rutherglen, you know, where we are. Um there, there's a lot of wineries around us that have really old barrels. But we're actually going to set up a uh, a mobile cooperage as well so you know if you say i've got 20 cars that have all got a little bit of a seep out of them or whatever it might be we send this mobile cooper up there um you know and he, he comes up there and fixes all your barrels and he moves on to the next one and the next one and the next one and, and suddenly you know it's not about uh i mean it's about keeping him busy but it's it's more about making sure all of the liquid you've got inside your barrels are holding tight, you know. And it's just running that quick eye over them, saying, "Look, you know, from a barrel standpoint, you're on top of this. You're doing exactly what you need to. And you might have some questions, uh, you know, that someone over the phone can't answer. And he looks at them and goes, "Oh, yeah, no, that's a simple little fix. That's this is how you do it. And there's some tools, and this is how you know we we move forward in the future. So." Um, having someone like that, I think, is going to be invaluable. It definitely is going to be in Corowa for us, you know, having having um, those guys on site, um, you know. And the, the the Cooper that we're talking to and trying to get uh, over here is, well, he's coming, um, so we're not trying to get him over here. We're, we've just got to get him on a flight. Um, he's he's been working in Scotland in the industry for. Robbie knows more than me, but it's thirty years or thirty-two years or something like that. So he's a he's a master cooper uh, by trade in Scotland. He's he's worked for all the big guys. They've flown him around the world doing coopering demonstrations for you know everyone. And uh, um, yeah, look, I'm really excited. He's he's great to talk to. His love of wood, you know, everyone loves wood, but he loves wood. So um, you know, having that. Absolute passion for the industry. I think it's exactly where we want to be uh, positioned uh, in Corowa and, and you know in the distilling industry as well.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a nice fit, isn't it? It's um and go back to barrels. I mean, barrel management uh, is so so crucial uh, as we as we know. I mean, it's one thing to have a wheat, but it's another thing to have a leak. Um exactly. the, the juice is just so. Bad. Yeah, we just we can't risk it. I remember when I was in. Uh, in your joint a couple of months ago, and we were on that, I think we are on the second second level, and there was that huge, I don't know what it was, a 350 or whatever it was, litre barrel, and it was just bulbous out the side, and it was like you could prick it with a pin, and the thing would go. And I remember talking to you about it, and you went, yeah, it'd be all right, don't worry about that one, it'd be all right, we know about it.
3: <laughs> you, you know the difference down here, Crafty, is that we breathe them tough in Koroa. You know they're not just uh, you know these these thin little barrels or anything like that. Um, yeah, look, I have a uh, my approach to the whiskey industry and, and you know and our distillery as a whole can sometimes be seen as blasé. Uh, it's very much not blasé, um, but sure. you know that that approach can sometimes uh, be misconstrued. But um, yeah, I, I think we need to be really careful about these leaking barrels and, you know, different things with barrels because the more that distillers get there, and I'm not having a go at distillers because I'm a, I'm a part of the distilling crew – the more distillers get their hands on barrels the, and the more shaven chars are, are happening, there's going to be some wood in the future that is thin, you know. And yeah. we were down in Tassie last week and – I saw some uh, some barrels down there that came from another cooperage, and they were they were ten mil thin in the um, you know in the bilge, and it was just yeah. it almost made you want to cry. And, and we're not talking this is just one or two staves. This is barrel after barrel after barrel as they're pulling them apart and looking at them. They just you know they're thin and they and you can see the saturation all the way through. So. You know, I think this is a conversation for every distillery's cooper to say, you know, how thin are my barrels in the middle of the bilge? You know, and where's the point where I pull up? Because these particular ones, they were getting shaved and charred and and going on to, you know, back for spirit again. So, um, you know, and and the cooperage where they were was, um, yeah, they they said, look, you know, these have come to us for us to fix and we're not. Overly, you know, we're we're in this tricky situation.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I've I've experienced that. Um, I've experienced that with Mister Andrew Young. Uh, I've had barrels which I've sent to him, and he's rung me up and said, "Crafty, I'm not touching these." He says these are basically ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, if you if you'd bought them and just used them yourself and not knowing, who knows what would have happened? So yeah, so yeah, education. And, 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 uh, yeah,
3: I education. think education, but also having that, that really good relationship with your Cooper and being able to, like you said, send your barrels to him, uh, you know, um, in a timely manner where, you know, you're putting a lot of money in, in buying barrels, but you're putting even more money inside the barrel and hoping like hell that it all works. So if your Cooper doesn't know what's going on and he's not passing that message on to you, you're going to get left sometimes with nothing in the barrel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No Accidents waiting to happen. I agree. Mm. um, We're getting pretty close to wind-up time. I just want to have a quick discussion on the – there's really two schools of thought on on barley, and I intend Mm. to – we're going to shoot the shit with uh, Stu from uh, Voyager uh, Craft Malt at at a later date. Uh, But the schools of thought are, you know, further you go down the manufacturing process of making whiskey, the less impact it has on the overall final product. So under that approach, barley is right down the, the starting point. So it really doesn't make a difference what you're using, what barley are using, because it's just alcohol. It's all about the alcohol. The other end of the spectrum is, oh, hell yeah, Barley has a huge impact on on the flavour, and the importance of your your barley selection uh, does have a massive impact on, on your flavour profile. So it's not all about the barrels; it's not seventy percent, eighty percent barrel influence. Barley has a, has a huge influence as well. Where are you in that? Are you are you sort of in the middle? Are you? Is there any particular way you lean towards, or is, is it dependent on where you're at at any given time?
3: That's a, you, the, the more the more you get to know me, the more you'll see that I'm very black and white on a lot of things and I have a standpoint and that's it. Um, I'm happy to be swayed, uh, you know, and I'm happy to, to have the discussion with people, uh, but I'm very much – barrels are 80% of the flavour, 20% of the flavour comes from your grain, but your okay. grain has an absolutely huge impact on that flavour, you know, because – we all want to use the best products we possibly can, you know, and we all do research and we all look around and find the best grain that we possibly can. We're really fortunate that we have Voyager craft malt, you know, in our backyard. You know, they're, they're great yeah. suppliers of, of um, really top quality grains and not just barley, you know. Some of those other grains they produce, absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, we're, we're in a really lucky situation there. But the, the barley that you produce there—if you go and get the same, um, you know, strains of barley—and you get, say, a Bintani to malt it, and you get Voyager to mould it—they're it completely different, you know, end end products. Mm. So yeah. even though it's it might only be producing twenty percent of your um, flavor profile, it's absolutely crucial, like every step of the the process. And for us, ours. Um, Our building is a multi-storey building, as you were talking about before. If we store uh, a a barrel on the ground floor as opposed to the second level, you know, and skipping one in between, it's completely different. So when we're looking at our flavour profiles and exactly how things happen, it it needs to be uh, a a recipe that you you continue on with. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think all ingredients are as important as each other even though I believe that 80% of your flavour comes from barrels and 20% comes from uh, your, your grain, I still think yeah. that they absolutely play a crucial role. The, the person who distills it, you know, the time of day, the way the distiller's
1: feeling, you know, the music that's playing in the background, keep the recipe the same. It all contributes. Um, I think I just saw a comment from, I think it was Kent Moore, uh, about Waterford. Um, it was very, very topical. So, Waterford for, for me is, is is one of the most exciting distilleries uh, in the world right now, and what they're doing, you know, really focusing on terroir and grain, and growing same single origin um, barley in different parts of, of Ireland, and taking it through to you know, mill brew, ferment, and barrel, and then doing single origin releases from from regions and same barley just grown in different areas and producing. Different flavored whiskies and Todd. You remember we had two Waterfords in the shed oh, yeah. uh, six months ago, and we were just blown away by the flavor complexity and differences. And same barrel program, so there's a barrel program consistency all through it. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it, there's a lot of exciting things happening. In fact, they're doing a lot of research and they've employed someone to do a PhD on it, I believe. Um, which is, Lee, Stu reckons grain is 80% of the flavour, says Lee. <laughs> I just saw that comment. Sorry, it's distracting, uh, to- Luke, when you get the comments coming across the I know, the screen. I am trying
4: to, trying to balance.
1: No, no, this a
4: This is one. a side of this whole
0: show that Crafty has never seen before.
1: What? <laughs> oh, that's, a little on that's on the
0: screen. This is new to you.
1: Oh okay well this whole this whole format that, that you've got me working on now we did Pratt
4: this Pratt's format on his phone. yeah the yeah. whole format it has been on his phone for all nine episodes uh, this is the first one where he's actually on an actual computer yeah yeah, so it's yeah, a completely a different experience. experience. And,
0: in this, and in this format, it's the first time we can see Crafty
1: because last time you had to phone in. <laughs> you had to phone a friend, as they say. <laughs> We're very professional, Dean. We're getting better.
3: Oh, I can see that. Don't worry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <hello. laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up, guys. Um, Dan, you got any, any final comments, anything you want to say? Um, any final dig at Lee so we, we, you can get off screen for your replies or, or, or Robbie nah. or anyone else? <laughs> no,
3: nah, no. They're all uh, – we love them all and we, uh, we do want to uh, catch up again. And I look forward to catching up with anyone who is going to uh, – Blackgate for World Whiskey Day in oh, two oh, weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah can't yeah. wait. Look forward to seeing you it there. Yeah, if it, get, it gets later and um, yeah, probably don't talk to me. I, I don't know. Just yeah, we'll see <laughs> how that goes. We'll see how it pans out for me. That's <laughs> going to be that, fun. So gonna before be awesome.
4: we do. There was an interesting comment there from Paul Mills. Um, surely the yeast and barley match makes a big difference to the flavour profile. Video. Oh, look,
3: it, it does. And also the the match that then that yeast and barley uh, profile go mm. for in the barrel. You know, it's – I'm still a massive believer that the, the barrel because um, you can put – and we've even done it. We've put the exact same, you know, mash and the spirit that's coming out of the exact same spirit run – into what we considered not a great barrel and then what we considered you know an average barrel and then a really good barrel so it's all exactly the same spirit and then to see that transform you know and you're using not a great barrel the the whiskey's still coming out okay but it's not great you know and then you've got this mediocre sort of in the mineral average barrel and then the the really good barrel it's just it, it becomes light years you know the 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 proportions of what you actually like and uh you can see coming through there so while i appreciate uh, what they're saying about you know you can you can if you look at it 80 percent grain it'll change the way you distill i also don't believe in that as much because while you can put that exact same spirit into those barrels we're we're not discounting the fact that grain is not important i'm not saying that for one minute what i'm saying is that's where we get 20% 20% of our flavour, and that's where we get 80% of our flavour.
1: Hmm. So it is important to have good barrels. Um, it, is, it is important to have a good spirit. Um, and if you, if you don't have good spirit, you don't have good barrel, you're not going to produce the best whiskey you can. That's Absolutely. it. So we are certainly
4: right. looking forward to the, uh, the World Whisky Day out at Blackgate. I can't wait. I'll be driving the long way out there from sydney it'll be good to uh really? to catch up yeah well, well i'm going the, the long shed. way
3: too. I'm, I'm picking up stew along the way so
4: yeah what <laughs> about yeah, the right? no, man. I, I, will, I will be swapping it at the shed on the way through absolutely crafty
1: yeah i know i know <laughs> yeah so you're picking <laughs> lee up on the way then
4: uh,
3: i don't know if we've got the booster seat in the back of the car um I'll have to wait and see.
1: <laughs> it's so <mean. laughs> and you yeah, can't reply so we're, 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 that's it guys, it's all over. <laughs> all right, everyone. that's uh I was about to in the shit. Now just a little little thing. Um so we're de- we're trying to build this out more. It's on YouTube, it's podcast, and we uh we're trying to hit the magic 500 stick man. Yeah, he is uh, five, 500 and we've got a little incentive to uh, help. So uh, I won't say too much tonight, but let's just say we have a very, very generous uh, Cooper in South Australia, Mr. Andrew Young, who's offered something uh, if we can pull in more, more viewers. So I will tease that out more next time. And next time we will be interviewing. Who are we interviewing next time? Ah, uh, oh, uh, Bill McHenry got, uh, from McHenry. McHenry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when, he, when are you going to have they, Josh from Tim Boone on? Oh, he's too busy traveling around the country right now. He's a pain in the ass. I can't even talk to him. Yeah, look, we don't <laughs> love travelers, but
3: uh, Josh has got a good story to tell.
1: Yeah, no, Josh. Josh should be on. Josh will be on. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got Christy Lark coming up uh, down the track. We've got Peter Bignall down the track. Um, and we've got, yeah, others. And um, as I said, we've got enough material for 2021 and into 2022. Um, and yeah, we can shoot the ship and, and, and see what it takes. It.
4: And, we, and we can't and, forget yeah. Alex.
1: Yeah, we've got Alex. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yes. Do <laughs> you want to comment, Alex? Do you want to say something? <laughs> Hand up in the air. <laughs> and that'll be after the, the um, after the infamous uh, Blackgate weekend. So uh, yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about.
4: We will. So, so um, make sure you follow uh, follow the Facebook page. Uh, that's certainly where to get all the uh, all the information about the next episodes that are coming up. Um, So, yeah, follow, like, like the YouTube, like the Facebook, uh, and obviously follow Craftworks uh, Distillery as well. And, of course, Koroa. Awesome. Put up the link in the comments as well.
1: All right. Thanks, Dean. We appreciate it, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, it's been a
3: good chat. Thanks for having me. Look forward to catching up with everyone very soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, mate. Chill out
3: See you then. See
1: <laughs> See
0: ya.